Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of underage drug use, sex, violence, and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. 16-year-old Sheila Eddy tapped her fingers on the steering wheel as she cruised down the dark highway. She tried to act natural, but nothing she did felt right. Did she normally lean back further in her seat? Was it weird that she wasn't making conversation? She stole a glance at her friend Rachel, who was fidgeting with her hair in the passenger seat. Rachel tried to smile back, but could only muster a grimace before turning to look out the window. Obviously, she was even more nervous than Sheila. After a moment, Sheila carefully reached out and offered her hand to Rachel. Rachel squeezed it, then pulled away and checked the back seat to make sure they hadn't been caught. Luckily, their friend Skylar was still buried in her phone. Rachel took a breath and relaxed. Sheila shifted her position again and gingerly patted her hoodie. She could feel the cold blade of the knife she was hiding inside press against her skin. It was almost over now. Tonight, it was do or die. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we're discussing high schooler Skylar Niece and her two best friends, Sheila Eddy and Rachel Schof. We'll discuss how the trio met, the way their relationship soured, and how it all led to an unspeakable tragedy. Next week, will examine the chilling consequences of their teenage drama and a small town's desperate investigation to uncover the truth. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. 
The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. Skylar Niece was the brightest light in a family full of love. Born in a suburb of Morgantown, West Virginia in 1996, she was a treasured only child of Dave and Mary Niece. Skylar was an energetic and confident young girl. She was bold but approachable, with a fun-loving and magnetic personality. So it was no surprise to her parents when, in the summer of 2004, eight-year-old Skylar befriended another outgoing young girl named Sheila Eddy. The two met while swimming at the community center just outside of town and quickly bonded. By the end of the summer, they were practically attached at the hip. Sheila lived about 20 miles away from Skylar. When the school year started, the girls' daily hangouts became weekend visits to each other's houses. Over time, they became even closer until Sheila's parents considered Skylar like another daughter. The two girls stuck together throughout their preteen years. By 2010, 14-year-old Skylar had grown into a sensible and trustworthy young woman. Though she got into trouble every now and then, she was an excellent student and rarely gave her parents any cause for worry. Sheila, on the other hand, was troubled. Her father was permanently injured in a severe car accident and her parents were divorced when she was a young child. While Sheila lived with her mother, Tara, they weren't very close. She also became distant from her father, Greg, despite his best efforts to bridge the gap. Whenever Sheila stayed with her father, he bent over backwards to give her what she wanted. For the most part, Sheila didn't have to lift a finger. If she was hungry or thirsty, Greg would go get her something at the store, even though she could easily do it herself. He wasn't the only one who sought Sheila's approval. By 2010, her mother, Tara, had started dating a man named Jim. Whether it was to get on her good side or just out of kindness, Jim was generous and endlessly patient with Sheila. She quickly got used to getting whatever she asked for and did not like to be told no. She became even more self-centered and defiant during her teenage years, frequently sneaking alcohol from her parents and doing drugs with friends. During the summer before ninth grade, she started befriending older teenagers, usually boys. She had a talent for charming others and no qualms about manipulating those around her to get what she wanted. As her behavior worsened, fights with her mother became common. Sheila earned a reputation for being judgmental, dishonest, and sometimes just plain cruel. She screamed at her mother in public and on one occasion, even threatened to kill her. Sheila liked to be the center of attention and she didn't seem to have much empathy for others. While such behavior might be written off as typical teenage rebellion, it also could have been a result of her inconsistent parenting following her parents' divorce. Before I continue with Sheila's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. In a 2011 article about the impact of divorce on children and teens, psychologist Carl E. Picard explains that a certain kind of angst can manifest in early adolescence. Children and adolescents who have been impacted by a traumatic divorce are more likely to regress to immature behaviors. Whining, throwing tantrums, and a temporary loss of self-care skills are all signs of this. In response, parents often feel compelled to give in to their children, which can feed a manipulative attention-seeking cycle. 
If not properly addressed, this pattern can worsen during the teenage years. Teens may be aggressive and defiant in an effort to get back at their parents for causing them stress. Young adults can become more distant and self-absorbed, looking out for their own interests above all else. Whether Sheila's parents knew it or not, they were unconsciously rewarding her bad behavior. The men in her life gave into her every single whim, while her mother gave her an excuse to cause a scene in public, granting her the attention she so desperately craved. Of course, this doesn't mean Sheila's increasingly immoral behavior should be blamed on her parents who were likely doing the best they could to care for their daughter. Throughout the emotional turmoil, Sheila leaned on Skylar as a trusted friend and a reluctant partner in crime. Their relationship evolved again in the fall of 2010 after Sheila's mother married Jim and moved to Skylar's town. After years of meeting up only on the weekends, Skylar and Sheila were suddenly just a few minutes away from each other. Better yet, Sheila transferred to Skylar's high school and the two of them entered their freshman year together, ready to find their place in the world. For her part, Skylar excelled. She earned a perfect GPA, joined the marching band, and set her sights early on a career as a lawyer. Sheila, however, was not nearly as focused. She didn't care much for school or extracurricular activities and had a hard time adjusting to the new social scene. She had been popular at her old school, but after she moved, she had to start from square one. For a while, Skylar was her only real friend. That all changed when she met Rachel Schoff. Rachel was a tall, talkative redhead. An aspiring actress, she had a beautiful singing voice and stood out in drama class, even as a freshman. Like Sheila, her parents divorced when she was young and she lived alone with her mother, Patricia. A devout Catholic, Rachel was known as much for her generosity as she was for her warm-hearted demeanor, often volunteering with her local church. Though Rachel was far less rebellious than Sheila, they bonded quickly. Perhaps it was because of their shared family drama or Rachel's desire to branch out from her childhood friends. Either way, she was drawn to Sheila's confidence and edge. Seemingly overnight, the two became best friends. And after Rachel met Skylar, an inseparable trio was born. They started going out together after dark, usually at Sheila's insistence. Though Skylar and Rachel worried that Sheila took things too far sometimes, they were thrilled to break the rules and follow in her footsteps. Sheila was all too happy to lead the pack, just as long as everyone followed her rules. Sheila sat on the curb outside her house, head buried in her phone. It was late, it was cold outside, and she was getting impatient. Skylar and the boys should have picked her up ages ago. When a beat-up car finally pulled up a few minutes later, Sheila climbed inside in a sour mood. But after an older boy started chatting with her, she perked up. Maybe the night could be salvaged after all. The group grabbed Rachel next and the five of them sped around town, radio blasting. As they reached the top of a hill, they put the pedal to the floor. The girls screamed and laughed as the car careened down the hill. A few seconds later, they saw a police car flashing its lights behind them. When the officer realized the girls were underage and out after curfew, he brought them to the station to call their parents. Sheila knew her dad was a pushover and would take it easy on her. She'd learned how to get sympathy from him a long time ago. She couldn't understand why her friends were so worried. 
She told them to get over it. They were just having a bit of fun. It was in times like these that they got on her nerves, especially Skylar, who was so worried about Rachel getting in trouble. She was such a goody two-shoes. If Skylar were smart, she'd worry more about herself. She needed to relax and she'd better learn fast. Sheila didn't have patience for losers. The girls got into some trouble that night, but their parents were mostly relieved that they were okay. Sheila got off the easiest, as expected. Since Skylar rarely needed to be reprimanded, her parents didn't worry themselves too much. Rachel probably had it the worst, but no amount of punishment could stop her from sneaking out with Sheila again. Either emboldened by the lack of consequences or just because of unrelenting pressure from Sheila, the trio continued pushing boundaries. From the outside, they looked like three typical teenage girls, but those who knew them best started to get concerned about the group dynamic. Skylar's childhood friend, Daniel Hovatter, was particularly unsettled by Sheila. He spent a lot of time with the girls and also performed with Rachel in school plays. The four often hung out at lunch and between classes, and Daniel went with them on the occasional joyride. He, more than anyone, witnessed their friendship up close and didn't always like what he saw. Daniel was never fond of Sheila, but put up with her in order to hang out with Skylar. He could see the bad influence she was having on the other two girls and how controlling Sheila was with Rachel. He wasn't the only one who noticed. Several of Rachel's friends remarked that she became more like Sheila with each passing day. Her soft-hearted generosity was replaced by cutting snark. Her kindness was buried under a new, affected cynicism. Perhaps because Rachel was more susceptible to Sheila's influence, the two of them started closing ranks on Skylar. Sheila and Skylar had been best friends for years, but all of a sudden, a shift occurred. Three is a crowd, and Skylar soon found herself the odd one out. Coming up, jealousy and tension poison the girl's friendship. Listeners, have you heard the eerie new podcast, Superstitions? Every Wednesday, explore the varying beliefs people around the world fear and follow in this fantastic series from Parcast. Each week, step inside stories that illustrate the horror, weirdness, and truth behind humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Why do black cats represent witchcraft? What's the point of carrying a rabbit's foot around with you? And how come certain films seem cursed and others don't? Each new episode of Superstitions presents a story that unlocks the mysteries of unorthodox traditions and surreal phenomena. They may seem mystical or illogical or completely insane, but then again, do they? Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Superstitions, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, 
back to the story. In January 2011, 14-year-old Skylar Niece entered the second semester of her freshman year with her best friends, 14-year-old Rachel Schof and 15-year-old Sheila Eddy. Some of their classmates worried Sheila was having a bad influence on the other girls, but nothing they did could break up the trio. Anytime Skylar or Rachel's other friends expressed reservations about Sheila, they were shrugged off. Rachel and Skylar regularly became defensive, accusing others of being jealous that they got along so well. If anything, the criticism made the girls gravitate towards Sheila all the more. But ironically, after defending her friend for months, Skylar soon found herself getting frozen out of the trio. It's unclear when exactly the rift formed, but it started off small. Rachel and Sheila came up with inside jokes that Skylar wasn't a part of. They coordinated matching outfits without telling her to make her feel left out. Eventually, Skylar felt like Sheila was deliberately alienating her whenever they were around other people. Things came to a head at a sleepover at Rachel's house on August 16th, 2011, just a few weeks before the start of the school year. That night, the girls waited until Rachel's mother went to bed and grabbed a bottle of vodka they had snuck in. After drinking and goofing around for a while, Sheila and Rachel took things a step further and started kissing. Skylar became extremely uncomfortable, but was afraid to leave the room because she was worried Rachel's mother might overhear. She was trapped while Sheila and Rachel started making out, forced to sit and wait awkwardly for it to be over. But it didn't end with kissing. While Skylar sat in a small corner, cradling the bottle of vodka, Rachel and Sheila undressed and had sex right in front of her. Skylar was speechless. She wanted to scream at her friends to stop, to let her leave, but she couldn't say anything. She felt so out of place, frozen like a deer in headlights. To make matters worse, she was too drunk to fully process what was going on. All she knew was that she was scared, scared of what was happening that moment and what it meant for her friendship with Sheila and Rachel. It was all she could do to stop herself from crying. After Sheila and Rachel finished, all Skylar wanted to do was go to sleep and forget the night ever happened. But Sheila wasn't done tormenting her. She walked to the bed they were all meant to share and abruptly told Skylar to shove over. She wanted to cuddle Rachel. This final demand pushed Skylar over the edge. She started arguing with Sheila and soon the three of them were yelling openly. The fight got so loud that Rachel's mom burst into the room and silenced them. She took Rachel to her own room for the night. From then on, the trio was irrevocably split. Fights continued for the rest of the summer as Sheila and Rachel distanced themselves from Skylar. It's unclear if they continued their physical relationship after that night at the sleepover, but rumors swirled around school about the two of them hooking up. They never admitted to it, but Skylar knew the truth. Perhaps angry over another argument, Skylar posted a tweet on September 6, in which she implied she knew a lot of private information about people and would reveal it to the whole school if she knew she could get away with it. In hindsight, it seems likely that she was referring to Sheila and Rachel's relationship and that she intended to out them publicly. The prospect must have terrified Rachel 
Because her mother was deeply religious, she worried she would never forgive her if she found out about her and Sheila. She was constantly on edge, convinced that Skylar was always an inch away from revealing their secret. Though Skylar never did tell anyone else about that night at the sleepover, her tweet in September of 2011 may have been a defining moment for the three 15-year-old girls. It cemented the two sides, Skylar on one, Sheila and Rachel on the other. Despite the tension, the girls continued to spend time together nearly every day. It was a toxic friendship, and for Sheila, it became a cruel game. When Skylar was around, she acted just kind enough to give her hope that goodwill could be renewed. Then, the minute Skylar left the room, she and Rachel turned around and insulted her. They bonded over torturing Skylar until it was a central tenet of their relationship. There were even rumors that Skylar, Rachel, and Sheila even physically attacked each other. These altercations, whether physical or verbal, never lasted long, however. The next day, the girls would meet again and act like nothing had ever happened. It became the norm to fight, make up, and fight again. The unhealthy dynamic was painfully obvious to everyone who cared for Skylar. Her childhood friend, Morgan Lawrence, expressed her concerns about Sheila more than once and told Skylar she wasn't a good influence. But with a dismissive wave, the conversation was quickly over. The combative relationship continued for months into the fall of 2011. Skylar regularly tweeted her feelings of jealousy and hurt, but remained hopeful things would get better. She wanted it to be like before, when the three of them all got along and she felt like she belonged. Some of Skylar's other friends encouraged her to just stop talking to the other girls. The few good times sprinkled in between the drama didn't seem worth it. It's hard to explain exactly why Skylar kept trying to hold on to the group, but it seems she was trapped in a dysfunctional relationship triangle. In psychiatrist Thomas Fogarty's work on types of relationship triangles, he describes interpersonal dynamics where one member of the trio is treated unfairly or acts as a scapegoat. One situation he documented seems to correspond to Skylar's relationship with Sheila and Rachel. In this dynamic, which he likens to an isosceles triangle with two equal sides and one short side, Dr. Fogarty explained that while one person is kept at a distance, the other two become overly close to each other. In this kind of triangle, Skylar, being the one left out, still felt a sense of familiarity and stability within the group. But whenever she tried to join in the fun and become closer to her friends, Sheila and Rachel retreated, strengthening their own bond instead. Skylar was ultimately left feeling lonely, but also believing things could be brought back to an equilibrium. So she kept trying to make things work. It could be that Skylar simply felt too comfortable to leave, even after Sheila and Rachel isolated her. Skylar and Sheila had been best friends for most of their lives, now that Rachel had replaced her, she felt betrayed. But it was incredibly hard to let Sheila go. Being a hopeful person by nature, she kept going back to Sheila, confident that things would one day return to normal. But as the weeks wore on and things only got worse, Skylar started to lose her optimism. Once defined by her positive outlook and bubbly friendliness, Skylar became sullen, angry, and jaded. At the same time, Sheila's attitude worsened too. She partied even more than before, neglected her schoolwork and stole test answers to keep her grades up. 
All the while, she amused herself by manipulating both Rachel and Skylar however she wanted. But nothing was enough for her. She had to constantly push the envelope to see how far she could press her friends before they reacted. And to a rebellious teenager like Sheila, nothing was more taboo than the subject of death. So she brought it up as often as she could. For instance, in the middle of sophomore year biology class, she reportedly turned to a student behind her and casually asked if they knew how to dispose of a dead body. According to the book, Pretty Little Killers, the truth behind the savage murder of Skylar Niece, Sheila then told her classmate, we want to figure out what to do with Skylar. The twisted joke was lost on the boy who shrugged off her question. So Sheila turned to the teacher and asked, what kind of acid would you dispose of a body in? Their teacher was not amused and sent her to the principal's office. After that, Sheila and Rachel realized it would be best not to talk about Skylar's death in class, but it was far from the last time they joked about their friend's demise. In fact, according to some of their peers, it was Sheila's favorite subject. One afternoon while the three girls were eating popsicles and trying to think of something to do, Sheila accidentally dribbled a bit into her lap. To Rachel and Skylar, it looked like she had peed and they laughed at her expense. Skylar even took out her phone and recorded Sheila angrily defending herself from the accusation. It was rare for Sheila to be the butt of the joke and she didn't like it, especially from Skylar. Luckily, she knew how to take back control of the room. To change the subject, she asked, would you guys rather suffocate or get shot? Without question, they both replied shot. It was a familiar game the girls liked to play and Sheila knew it would distract them from the popsicle stain. Plus, any chance she and Rachel had to imagine Skylar's death was always fun. Next, Sheila asked if they'd prefer drowning or suffocating. Rachel and Skylar agreed suffocation would be better. Sheila made a mental note of Skylar's response and for a second, visualized what it might look like. Skylar then pointed out that drowning and suffocation were almost the same thing. Daydream broken, Sheila coldly replied, I know, but it's not, and walked away without another word. To those who didn't know her well, it might have seemed that Sheila simply had a dark sense of humor. Only her closest friends witnessed the true depths of her cruelty. As authors Daylene Berry and Jeffrey Fuller write in their book, Pretty Little Killers, when Sheila drove Skylar and Rachel around, she sometimes intentionally tried to run over small animals crossing the road. It was a game to her. She even awarded herself 20 imaginary points for each kill. Skylar and Rachel found it horrifying and begged Sheila to stop, but naturally, she didn't listen. Their horrified reaction was exactly what she was looking for. No one could stop her from doing what she wanted. She continued torturing Skylar throughout their sophomore year. By the spring of 2012, the situation between the girls was worse than ever. Skylar fought constantly with Rachel and Sheila while they froze her out more and more. The intense relationship between the girls only fueled the rumors that they were romantically involved. Skylar continued to keep the sleepover incident to herself, but Rachel and Sheila knew people were gossiping about them. They were sure Skylar planned to blurt out their secret soon and publicly humiliate them. A few weeks before the school year ended, Rachel nearly broke down from the stress. 
Not knowing who to confide in, she returned to an old friend who she hadn't spoken to in a while, a girl named Wendy Evans. Rachel told Wendy she couldn't stand Skylar, but couldn't stop being her friend for some reason. Confused, Wendy dug deeper, and Rachel claimed that she was worried Skylar would blackmail her. She even implied things would be easier if Skylar were dead and gone. Somewhere along the way, Rachel and Sheila's inside joke about Skylar's death stopped being funny. Sheila tested the water slowly, seeing just how far she could go to plant the suggestion in Rachel's mind before things got serious. Eventually, they weren't just hypothetically discussing killing their best friend. Things came to a boiling point in June 2012, after Sheila and Skylar's families took a summer trip together. The vacation was ruined by their ceaseless bickering, and the entire week devolved into one petty argument. It's unclear what exactly caused the fight, but Sheila's patience with Skylar was gone after that. She no longer considered Skylar a friend, but rather an obstacle in the way of her happiness with Rachel. It was time for her to be dealt with once and for all. As soon as Sheila returned home, she told Rachel it was time for Skylar to die. Up next, Sheila and Rachel plot their friend's murder. Now, back to the story. In June 2012, 16-year-olds Sheila Eddy and Rachel Schoff started to seriously discuss killing their best friend, Skylar Niece. After months of petty drama, Sheila and Rachel were likely worried that Skylar would expose their secret romantic relationship to their entire school. Rachel may have been terrified that her devout Catholic family would disown her if they found out the truth. Sheila either sought to protect Rachel or may have just been concerned for her own reputation. These motivations likely weren't strong enough to push the girls toward murder on their own. Other factors have been known to lead young people to commit murder. Some of these include a family breakdown, a lack of supervision, and access to information on how to commit violence. Individually, these elements may not be enough to compel someone to murder, but combined with intense anger and a lack of empathy for others, they can lead to dangerous and deadly results. Sheila, in particular, was at risk. She didn't have a healthy relationship with her parents, was allowed to get away with almost everything, and went wherever she wanted without parental supervision. When combined with her self-centered personality, a very toxic combination was formed. To Sheila, it was simple. In order for her and Rachel to be truly happy, Skylar needed to die. On June 10th, 2012, Sheila and Rachel met at their high school parking lot to discuss Skylar. Sheila was angry that Skylar had tweeted a series of ominous posts to the previous morning, including one that said, just know, I know. It's unclear exactly what Skylar was referring to, but Sheila and Rachel likely assumed it was about their relationship. By that point, Sheila was fed up with Skylar's veiled threats. She and Rachel had a long, chilling conversation about Skylar that day. By the end of it, they both agreed that there was no turning back. They needed a real plan to get rid of Skylar once and for all. Their first step was to research how to kill someone. Sheila and Rachel scoured the internet for advice on how to plan their murder. Since neither had ever fired a gun before, they settled on knives as their weapon of choice, which were all too easy to find right at home. 
For two teenage girls who never got off their phones, the gruesome research was just a few taps away. In a matter of minutes, the girls familiarized themselves with Skylar's crucial veins and arteries. After deciding how to strike, Sheila and Rachel next had to figure out what to do with Skylar's body. They considered dissolving the corpse in acid, but decided it would be too hard to get enough solvent. They likely spent hours watching crime shows and inventing creative, elaborate ways to dispose of Skylar's remains. To Sheila, it was fun, an extension of the death fantasy game she liked to play in her spare time. But in the end, the girls settled on something simple. They would lure Skylar to an isolated spot in the woods by inviting her to smoke weed. Then they would kill her and bury her body. With the plan finalized, all they had to do was pick the date. Confident their plan was foolproof and worried Skylar would out them at any moment, they both wanted to get it over with as soon as possible. After some discussion, the girls chose the night of July 5th, 2012 for the attack. Just a few days after that, Rachel was set to leave town for church camp. Sheila rushed home and plonked down on her bed. She felt better than she had in months. After weeks of just talking, she and Rachel were finally going to shut Skylar up forever. Sheila thought back on her years of friendship with Skylar. They had been so close once, but that was a long time ago. They weren't kids anymore and Skylar shouldn't act like one. As far as Sheila was concerned, Skylar only had herself to blame. She had tried to get her to relax, but Skylar hadn't listened. Too bad. At least in a few days, the whole charade would be over. She smiled and covered herself with her blanket. No more nagging, no more drama. And the best part was, the whole thing would be a cakewalk. She was the absolute last person anyone would expect to kill Skylar. They were best friends. The more Sheila thought about it, the more excited she got. Running over squirrels was one thing, but stabbing a real person, she imagined, would feel totally exhilarating. This time next week, it would be just her and Rachel doing anything she wanted. When July 5th finally arrived, Sheila could barely contain herself. She checked her phone constantly, waiting for the hours to pass and the sun to go down. For Skylar Niece, it started out as a regular summer day. She lounged around at home, talked with friends, and went to her seasonal job that afternoon. The whole time, Sheila and Rachel texted her incessantly. They insisted that she come and hang out with them that night. They wanted to go for a drive, smoke, and talk like the old days. It was a tempting offer, but Skylar wasn't so sure. The trio had fought earlier that week and Skylar wasn't really in the mood to see her friends. But Sheila and Rachel were unusually persistent and as always, Skylar felt a need to mend the rift between them. When she got home that night, Skylar found her parents watching TV in the living room. She went to the kitchen to grab some sweet tea then wished them good night. Her mom threw her clothes into the wash as Skylar hopped into her nightly shower. When she finished, she grabbed another drink from the kitchen. On the way, she passed her dad, who was falling asleep on the couch. Love you, daddy, she told him, before returning to her room and locking the door. 
By that time, it was shortly after 11 p.m., and she still hadn't given Sheila and Rachel a solid answer about seeing them that night. Her phone wouldn't stop buzzing, and the two girls practically begged for her to join them. They promised to be nice. They said they just wanted to see her. Skylar hated that months of turmoil could be undone with a few kind words, but deep down, she still wanted to make their friendship work. If they were sincerely trying to make an effort, then she figured she should too. So after hours of pestering, Skylar reluctantly agreed to sneak out shortly after midnight. The second she texted back yes, Sheila and Rachel got to work. Rachel loaded her dad's shovel into Sheila's car, along with paper towels, bleach, disinfecting wipes, and a change of clothes. Sheila brought the knives. When the car was ready, they stashed the weapons under their armpits and threw on hoodies to conceal them. They hoped Skylar wouldn't ask about why they were wearing sweatshirts in the middle of the summer. Once everything was in place, they set off to get their target. Meanwhile, Skylar prepared to sneak out of her room. She removed the screen from her first floor window, stashed it in her closet, and looked out for her friends to arrive. At 12.30 a.m. on July 6th, Sheila and Rachel pulled up outside. Skylar climbed out the window and closed it behind her, leaving an inch of space at the bottom to reopen it later. She crept up to Sheila's car and got inside. Sheila and Rachel greeted her happily and took off into the night. It was time for their friend to die. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back Wednesday with part two of Skylar Niece, Sheila Eddy, and Rachel Show's story. We'll cover Sheila and Rachel's sadistic attack on Skylar and the police investigation that uncovered the truth. For more information on the murder of Skylar Niece, amongst the many sources we used, we found the book Pretty Little Killers, The Truth Behind the Savage Murder of Skylar Niece by Daylene Berry and Jeffrey C. Fuller, extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Billy Pace, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Grayson Niles, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Chelsea Wood and Mickey Taylor. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Bad omens, good fortune, pure luck. Take a closer look at what you believe in and follow the Spotify original from Parcast Superstitions. New episodes air weekly every Wednesday. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.